Hello, everyone. Welcome to Brothers in Song. Joe, how's it going? I'm glad it's Friday, buddy. That's all I got to say. About that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a week, but, it's, you know, it, that, that's life. You know, you kind of go through. But the weather was great over, around us uh, this week, so that was, a, that was an added bonus. Um, I think summer's here, and we're, and, you know, I went on my run, I guess it was... I guess it was yesterday morning and it was just gorgeous. It was nice and cool. It, it was, it was good. Yeah. I think we got, you know, the three normal days of weather that were allowed in new England for the year <laughs> over the past few days where it's just like 75. It's not humid. There's a breeze. We, we hardly sun, ever get that. The sun peeks out from the clouds from time to time. So, you know, it's there, but it's not, it's not sunny. Can't say it's ever sunny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We've got our episode ready to go, and um, as always, we we start off with a with a question to lead us in. So, Joe, I was wondering, who is your favorite composer, and why? So, like this question hurts hurts my soul so much. It's like <laughs> it's like so painful. There's so many great ones, and we've talked about a lot of them, you know, in passing on the show. And hopefully, you know, down the line, we can dive a little bit deeper into some of them. But so I, I, I have a handful of honorable mentions, and then we'll get to the crux of the matter. <laughs> if, if you don't okay. mind, if you yeah, indulge so we, me, it is our show, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So we got we got Miss Congeniality. We got first runner up, second runner up. Yeah, hit me with it. So one that folks probably have not heard a lot about, but his music is available, was a modern composer. Uh, his name is, and, and he's Estonian, so I hope this is correct. It's Avropart is his name. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've probably come across him, you know, may, maybe on like a Spotify playlist or something, because his music is just so lyrical and gorgeous and... It's a lot of orchestral music. There's some um, sacred music rolled into that. Um, but if you don't know who he is, I, I just recommend that you 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 go and do a little bit of, of exploring because I I stumbled across him, you know, really unintentionally and was and was just so moved by a lot of his music. So I recommend that one. Uh, in a similar vein, uh, and this is one that I have mentioned on the, on the podcast, but I wanted to give him a proper shout out, was uh, Ennio Morricone. And he was a film composer. Really, his heyday was like in the late 50s, early 60s. He did a lot of like the spaghetti Western scores and things like that. And so, you know, when you think of fil film score, he is kind of like the precursor even to like John Williams or Hans Zimmer. Um so I would say, you know, take a good listen to him. Mozart and Bach are just beautiful because they're so elegant and um, economical in the way that they compose. There's beauty, there's complexity. It's, there's not, there's not much else I can add to what has been written about, you know, over, over the course of the years. But for me, uh, it kind of comes down to three people. Uh, and actually one is not, Richard Wagner, who we spent a lot of time on a couple of episodes ago. Really, it's, you know, when we think about classical composers, I think of Richard Strauss, 
who's done, you know, he was kind of like the uh, successor to Wagner. He was a little bit later composing into the 20th century. Um, and and you kind of have to sit through some, some really uh, challenging parts to listen to. But then when you get to the really like earth shattering climax of some of his pieces, it's some of the most wonderful music that you will hear. And then in my in, in my finale, it was really between uh, Giacomo Puccini and Giuseppe Verdi, and these are the kings of Italian opera music. And the, I mean, they're both great, and and it's really just splitting hairs. But for me, Verdi was the one that really always just stuck with me from from my first introduction to him. And ironically, it is not an opera that really got me hooked. It was actually the Verdi Requiem, which is my, I think, the my favorite piece of music that's ever been written, and mm. it's just, uh, it's just an amazing epic piece, and it's has everything that you could want, and it has, yeah, that that's that's a great list of of things that, um, you know, people should should definitely check out. I would love to do more classical music on the show. Uh, since it's something that, while I enjoy it, I don't know a lot about it. And actually, you reminded me that that first composer you mentioned is mm-hmm. one that I've heard before. Um, I think I heard. D- does he write choral music as well? He he can't. Yes, yes, he does. Yep. Yeah, that's that's what I heard, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh wow, this is really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 modern, but it's still melodic. Mm-hmm. harmonically it's interesting um and it's I, I, he's just I, i'm surprised more people don't know about him because I, I, I like i i heard him like a 30 second clip of some of his music and i was like oh my gosh what is this like i need to find yeah. out, find more of it you know right uh well yeah so so we'll put some of those clips in in the show notes yeah sure why not yeah. why not we'll just <laughs> i'll send you a list we got links and links and links for yeah. everybody. Yeah, the, I wanted to ask that question because the album that we're going to discuss today is Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, released in 1966. And that album is really Brian Wilson's passion project. And he truly acted as, as a composer you know, putting that together. Uh, he does sing many of the lead lead vocals, but it was really his uh, his his writing, you know, and his ideas that were, you know, put together by, uh, you know, other other musicians that he was kind of directing, if you will. So we'll uh, we'll get right into a little bit of uh, historical context. And there's so much to know about this and kind of contextualize that I kind of got overwhelmed researching did go, it. Did you go down <laughs> a little bit of a rabbit hole on this one? <laughs> I, I did. But the thing is, there's just so much stuff and there's just so many like little little branches and tributaries to follow mm-hmm. that it was it was kind of hard to organize it all. And then I kind of remembered something that, you said when we were we were talking about putting together episodes 
and you said, you know, we don't have to analyze every single note on the, on this right. show right. Uh, because because we can't. I mean, the, you know, the purpose of the show is, you know, for us to discover something new and hopefully for our listeners to discover something new. So I kind of had to take a step back and, and just say, OK, what what are kind of the most important things to know if it's actually something that interests you or me or anybody else who's listening, you know, that's your starting point. And then you can go ahead and uh, uh, and uh, see for yourself. To start off with here, uh, this is the Beach Boys 11th studio album. So, so I read that as well. Yeah. And I was astonished. Because, <laughs> me too. Because it's 1966. And it's probably just because of my age, but I always thought of the Beach Boys like in the 80s. And they were, I, I believe they're still like creating new stuff in the 80s. But that's like obviously when I was first introduced to them. And I was like, okay, 1966, that makes sense that they like, they were like together and making music during the 60s. But that this was the 11th album <laughs> that they yeah. put together by 1966, that's crazy to me. 11 albums in basically three years. Wow. Three or four wow. years. Wow. Yeah, so that is, that is a little nuts. I mean, that's that's a lot of work. When you factor in, you know, they're probably touring uh, as well. Prior to the release of Pet Sounds, the Beach Boys were known for being a part of the California sound. What, that, what does that mean? That, that means... Creators of that type of music, like the Beach Boys and, you know, Jan and Dean come to mind. Um, they were making music that revolved around themes about, what else? Surfing, mm -hmm. cars, mm -hmm. the beach, you know, kind of the beach lifestyle. And all this kind of, like, mythological California stuff. So... The songs the Beach Boys were releasing in the first half of the 60s was were things like Surfing USA, Little Deuce Coop, Fun, 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 California Girls. Um, and I don't know about you, uh, Joe, that, that's the kind of stuff I always kind of associated with the Beach Boys. And I always thought it was kind of crap, <laughs> to be oh, honest. For sure. For sure. It's like um, it's like. Uh... They are the musical band of the movie Point Break, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, man, we're surfers. We're surfing. <laughs> and like, obviously, when I was hearing it in the 80s, it was like, yeah, dude, you're surf you have like, you're making surfer music, right? Well, yeah, and they released that song Kokomo for the for the movie uh, Cocktail, that that soundtrack and that. Uh -huh. That song's terrible. I mean, it's, <laughs> Brian Wilson, I don't think had anything to do with that. But but yeah, that was that was always kind of the the stuff that I associated with them. Kind of, you know, cool vocal harmonies. But other than that, just kind of like the bubblegum pop of the day. Around 1965, Brian Wilson started experiencing mental health issues. Mm -hmm. um, he became reclusive he stopped touring with the band and then also around that time and i don't think this is a, a coincidence he started writing and putting together pet sounds 
with a friend of his whose name was Tony Asher that the both of them basically wrote the whole album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Asher was was writing advertising jingles in the studio adjacent to the Beach Boys mm-hmm. when they met, and they developed and he and Wilson developed this this friendship, and they ended up writing together. From what I've read, this was Brian Wilson's passion project. Mm-hmm. When the other band members came in to make the record, they they hadn't you know contributed in the same ways that they that they had before. And they didn't have much input, and they were kind of like, "What the hell is this?" Right, uh, <laughs> right. And 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 I got the impression, and I wasn't there. I was not in the room where it happened, but I got the impression that Brian Wilson was pretty adamant about his choices and was not really very much a in a compromising mood should we say right <laughs> right yeah and, and like a lot of great art that's made through collaboration there was you know conflict involved yeah, right right um I, I always think that it's kind of folly to approach making a piece of art with this attitude but he wanted to make the greatest rock record of all time uh, by his own admission. After listening to this, I kind of view this as a bridge between uh, kind of more conventional rock that was happening in the 50s and early 60s mm-hmm. and like early 60s pop with, you know, kind of crooners like Bobby Darren and, and stuff like that. Sure, sure. And so that, like, this was a bridge between that and the Beatles and, like, more experimental things that were happening in the later 60s. Um, And a big innovation with this album is that it was impossible for the Beach Boys, basically, to play this live in its original form. Because of all the instrumentation. Right. uh, And all of the musicians that were playing on this. I mean, when I looked up the 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 personnel that that played on this it's crazy um, yeah it was amazing there were like 38 session musicians plus mm-hmm. a 15 piece string section mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. 50 so that's 53 people plus the beach boys members plus asher mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who who i'm i'm sure was was involved in in the recording process um and it was one of the first times that a group went completely away from like a small electric ensemble you know right 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 right. just just like a traditional like quartet type of thing where you have the lead singer a lead guitar a bass player uh somebody doing percussion and that's it a dear two two minute 30 second uh uh three minute song and you do you know verse chorus verse chorus and uh that's it right right so so during this whole recording process i mean what kind of happened is that they really innovated this idea that a recorded piece of music could be an art form in and of itself and didn't have to necessarily represent what a band sounded live Mm -hmm. and the studio itself and all of the you know recording and layering and overdubbing they did 
it was kind of like an just another instrument or another tool in the toolbox to mm-hmm. make the sound that they they wanted to make and this kind of differentiation between live music and recorded music and what could be done um was really something very very new at the time and is something that we very much take for granted now sure sure and and the last bit of kind of trivia that i'll that i'll say before we dive into our impressions of this is that brian wilson was 23 when he started writing this Hmm. i'm like you've got to be kidding me please i was still you know just like cramping my hand into like some misshapen claw to try to make some some music on my guitar uh, uh, when i was 23 yeah, uh, yeah asher was slightly older he was 26 um <laughs> so with that kind of uh background in our minds um what were your impressions of this so um first of all like uh Credit to you, because I definitely didn't do that much research when I was preparing for this. I mean, I knew some of the the key the key points, but i I didn't take that much of a deep dive. so um, so i i I learned something just from your introduction, which is, you know, that's great. Um, you know, I have to say, on the first listen, I was, uh, you know, I think the Beach Boys, for most people, kind of fall they kind of fall into two categories. They are, they either don't like them at all or they're, they love them. And I was really kind of middle of the road. I was like, okay, like there's some interesting stuff here. I don't know if any of it is really, you know, speaking to me on a level that I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to listen to this uh, over and over again. But, you know, understanding when it was created in 1966, um, and understanding kind of pop music at that time, you know, one thing I did take away from this and, you know, it's in, it's noted in a lot of my comments about the tracks is, and, and I think you summed it up pretty well, you know, Brian Wilson was 23 and he broke the convention. He's like, I am going to come here and I will break the wheel. I'm going to break this pattern that everybody's falling into because I'm sick of it. I'm going to do something else. And it's going to be what it's going to be. And so to have the bravery as an artist to do that, I give him a lot of credit. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. And that's, you know, part of the process of creating. And that's that's fine. But there were there were things that on here. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And I think we'll dive deeper into it as we get into specific tracks. But the instrumentation on here is astonishing. And, and you outline like all the players. And it's like, you know, I can't even think of who was making music at that. I mean, like, we've talked about some of them, like, you know, whether it was Frank Sinatra's in in the early 60s or Nat King Cole or Bing Crosby, like very conventional kind of pop, like easy listening kind of singers. And these guys were like, no, we're not doing that. We're doing something completely different. (laughs) We're going to, you know push the technology to the limit of the, you know, the technology of the day to the limit. And we're going to see what we can create. And so for that fact alone, I give them, you know, a ton of credit. Does it all work? Not for me. It doesn't. And I think there's some stuff on here that is 
I, I think that they were like caught in the crux of, oh, we kind of have to create a studio album so that we can like sell it, but we also want to experiment with all this other stuff. So it's kind of like a one for you, one for me <laughs> type of thing, mm-hmm. you know, with the track listings and or even like in individual songs, like you can hear like, oh, it starts out very conventional, but then they go off and take like a hard left because they're like, fuck this. We're not doing this. <laughs> right. We're not doing this. Um, so, so I, you know, at first I was kind of like, eh, I don't, it's, it's not for me. I don't know how much more I'm going to listen to it, but I think it's important, you know, when you think about American pop culture and pop music, this, it is a seminal album. I mean, and even if it doesn't speak to you on a emotional level, the different structures that are in play are really important. And they kind of push the whole uh, artist community into a new direction. And right. that's pretty incredible to do as like a singular artist or band, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's so difficult to honest and truly, you know, create something brand new and and it really seemed like they they did they did that and uh, you know some sometimes when we talk about context it's kind of like all right let's just kind of set the stage for where this is Mm -hmm. being made uh and other times like like with this album this is like a turning point Mm -hmm. in the way that popular music was made and um you know, I, I have to be honest with, with my reaction. Like, I was really kind of blown away by this. I, w- I was really very surprised at how sophisticated this is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've, I've often dismissed the Beach Boys in the past, you know, especially when I was in my 20s and going through kind of a smug know-it-all phase. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely have to eat crow for that because it's... I think it, it just feels very intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but they're 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 not just going through the motions, right? They're they're experimenting. They're they're figuring out all these different things that can work, and and using unconventional instrumentation very well, in my opinion, and. I think the influence of this album is pretty pervasive, especially in a lot of music that I like. I I can hear it in, you know, in certain songs by Radiohead, which is one of my favorite bands. I can hear it in a lot of uh, indie music from the early 2000s that were using a little bit more unconventional instrumentation like uh, Sufjan Stevens and the Decemberists and um, yeah, yeah, uh, some late late career REM. Um, so so yeah, so I definitely thought it was was really interesting and and I enjoyed you know listening to it and there's just so much going on. It was like even tough for me to make notes about individual songs because there there's so many different like cool instruments. So I, I, I had yeah. some specific notes um, that, that I really like. So Sloop John B and then 
and to God only knows, and then I know there's an answer. Like, those are so different. And I don't really know how they fit together, but I kind of like that they're all, like, in sequence on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sloop John B, that, that's like a Caribbean song. They did their own sort of arrangement of it all. And I think that's where you get like a lot of the clever instrumentation that was cool. Um, so, and and it's just kind of like a fun song. Um, God only knows is one that's been that that was one song I obviously had heard before because it's hard, pretty hard to miss it. And it's like the sweet like love ballad, but it's not conventional, and the repetition kind of puts you in a loop. So you you're kind of like. It's like you're on the carousel and you're kind of spinning around. And you don't know kind of when you're going to stop type of thing, you mm. know, which which is hypnotic in, in, in a good way. And then I know there's an answer that that was my favorite track. And, you know, for no other reason than. And this is what I'm saying, like they took a lot of risks. They're like, you know what? I don't really care that nobody ever puts a baritone saxophone in a song. This song is going to rely heavily on it. <laughs> And you just hear the baritone sax throughout the whole piece. And it's crazy because it's like not something you're used to hearing, I don't think. Right. Well, what what you're actually referring to is that was a bass harmonica. Oh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Believe it or not. Wow. So, I yeah, well, sorry, I'm wrong on that one. But like that sound, I don't know what it is. Clearly, it's a bass harmonica, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but like, that's not something that would, uh, was ever used in pop music before. And, uh, you know, it adds such character to that song. And it's so cool. Right. Well, to your point, it's like, it's even hard to identify some of this stuff. So I don't, I don't blame you for, you know, mis-i- misidentifying that. Yeah, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I looked it up, so... Uh. That's how I know. Um, I was like, I was like, I was like, is that a harmonica or or like a weird big kazoo? Like, what is that? Yeah. (laughs) You know, but that, but that's what's cool about it is that you're like, I, I don't know what that sound is. And you know that it's not made by a computer because it was 1966. Well, exactly. 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 What about you? What were your, some of your favorite tracks? If you can narrow it down. Yeah. I think my favorite one was. Uh, you still believe in me. Mm-hmm. It starts off with that really kind of haunting, you know, those haunting uh, vocals. What's accompanying that? And I had to look it up because I didn't know what it was. Um, is Brian Wilson plucking the strings of a piano with a bobby pin? Really? How do you even decide you're going to do that? It's like, I, I want to pluck these strings. Like my, my fingers aren't making the right tone that I want, that I want to make. I don't know. Did they look around the room and find a bobby pin? Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I love how the, um, the timpani, you know, much like we discussed in our Wagner episode that it, it's used to round out the 
the sound of the whole thing and used for emphasis as opposed to you know having a driving beat from a drum set or something like that right 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 i just love how the the vocals and the instrumentation build up and then and then they subside and kind of resolve and you think the song's over but then they come in again Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, they decided to use a bicycle horn at the end. <laughs> if you listen closely, there's just somebody who like squeaks a bicycle horn like. Like three, t- it's like there's three measures of the song left as they like fade out and mm-hmm. like and they squeeze the bicycle horn three times, like <laughs> once per measure. Um, so, so so like that would be a choice i would say like well like you guys are experimenting and you're doing things and it's kind of like okay we'll throw this in but you know as you go down the road maybe be like yeah maybe less is more in this circumstance <laughs> i mean perhaps perhaps um i can see how that could come off as like a little bit silly like it's either like you either think that's like whimsical and charming or you think it's just totally silly and just kind of takes you out of the moment but yeah yeah um but that that was my my favorite song i I know i keep harping on this but just so many different cool instruments on the whole thing i mean there's a song that features uh the the theremin or (laughs) kind of like a reasonable facsimile of a theremin if you don't know what a theremin is do you know what a theremin is joe I don't. I don't. Okay. So a theremin is an early electronic instrument, and you, like, place your hand between these two, like, electrodes or whatever. And the movement... (laughs) (laughs) And the movement of your hand creates different tones. And you can, like, make vibrato by, like, shaking your hand. And the sound is, like... Okay, so first of all, uh, it happens at the end of I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of sound that you would hear in like a 50s sci-fi movie or like a Vincent Price movie or something like that. Yeah. So they didn't use a true theremin. They used like a theremin that you control with a dial instead of putting your hands in the air and waving them around like you're some kind yeah, of like right. freaking wizard or something. Um <laughs> Well, I was going to ask, like, how many drugs do you have to take? And what are the required volumes of said drugs that you have to take when you're playing this thing? <laughs> like, Well, according to Wikipedia, it's, it's 125 micrograms of LSD. <laughs> right? Um, I mean, it was the sixth, so there you yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will, I will, there's one cool theremin video, uh, that I hope I can find. I'll find some kind of theremin video to post in the notes. Um, but to kind of wrap up with these cool instrument things, um, you know, so there's the theremin, there's the bass harmonica you talked about, you know, there's tons of um, woodwinds and clarinets happening. Uh, God Only Knows, which is, uh, which I think is a really great song as well. They use, it sounds like those like coconut shell looking mm-hmm. things like a percussion in in the background like the yeah, kind of, yeah yeah it's the kind of thing that you would use to to make the sound of like a horse 
walking down the road for a radio play or something right, like that. Right, 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 right. Yeah, uh, and then the the chord progressions and stuff are just very, very unexpected. A lot of left turns. So I just thought it was really interesting overall. Just one other like quick thing I want to mention is the titular track, Pet Sounds. So I did do a little bit of research in this, and correct me if I'm misrepresenting anything, but like it was supposed to be like James Bond song, and it's totally like because there's no lyrics, it's all just music and Mm -hmm. instruments, and it's like, oh my gosh, this totally could be James Bond leitmotif, which we talked about in our Wagner episode, (laughs) right? right? It's like, this is James Bond music, and it's cool, and it's, uh, you know, it's not that long. And you're like, oh, yeah, like, I get into a groove listening to the song. So I, I appreciated that for what it was. And, like, that, I, I think we can't, we can't just sort of gloss over that, considering that's, like, the title of the album. Like, that was something in their mind as they were writing it, you know? Uh, yeah, true, true, true. Um, yeah, there's two, there's two instrumental tracks on this, and I think they're both kind of cool. Um, now, I think more so than me, you had some some criticisms of this. You know, you talked earlier about maybe some elements that you felt didn't work as well. So I'm definitely interested in, in hearing that. Well, it's I wouldn't say that there's any like, I mean, there are a handful that I, I was kind of like, yeah, I can like I listen to it and I forget it immediately. and. Usually I would just kind of give it a pass, but I feel like maybe it was just my expectations were so high because this is supposed to be such an important album. And I get all the reasons why it is important, but there are things on here that were kind of like, eh, I, I don't know, uh, you know, it just doesn't do it for me. One in particular line, particular, particular line is Caroline. No. And that's the final track. And I just kind of don't really understand what it's supposed to be about, who that's for. It's short. I, I I don't know. It just didn't it didn't do anything for me. And the fact that it's the last song on the album is kind of disappointing. Um, but that uh, I I don't know if you had any thoughts on that particular track. But that was one specifically for me. I was just like, what what is this? I don't get it. Yeah, I mean that one from what I understand was a it, it was a, a Brian Wilson solo work it, it was something that he did prior to putting together Pet Sounds um, I mean that that one definitely didn't grab me quite, quite as much as, as the others um, that's for sure um, I think you know I think everything up to god only knows is is pretty great i think the i think the the tracks that that follow aren't quite as are not are not quite as like fully realized as as the first part of the album you know the first yeah well and and i find it interesting that wouldn't it be nice which is you know that's probably a song a lot of people have heard before sure is starts the album right and it's very i feel like that's one of the more conventional sort of poppy 60s songs that that's on the album and then you end with caroline no and it's like how did we get here how did we (laughs) even get here yeah like like, 
and and that's a, I mean I I say that in jest, but like that's a credit to them because they did do a lot of interesting stuff in between. And and again, some of it's going to stick, some of it's not, and that's okay. Um, so so I don't want to like be too nitpicky because I know, you know, considering how young they were, the time period, what had come before them, like they took a lot of risks with this, and I give I I give I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, and if it all wasn't perfect, that's okay, you know. And and I think that that's something that everybody that that creates says says to themselves, or ho- I hope that they do, because the the hardest part is creating. You know, you can mm-hmm. kind of put the criticism and 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 all the nonsense that we we talk about every week inside. <laughs> yeah. Like the hard part was you actually made it. So credit sure. to you. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I, although I was, you know, very positive, you know, throughout most of the show, I mean, there's there's definitely things that aren't um, as interesting to me. You know, I mentioned kind of how the, the first part of the album, mm-hmm. I, I think, is a little bit more successful. Um, and, I mean, the only other thing I would offer as criticism is something that kind of dovetails into something I I think you said, which is just, it it lacks a certain emotional quality for me. Like it, it definitely, it definitely kind of like sparks my brain and I'm, and and as I'm listening to the music, I'm always like thinking about like, oh, how they, how did they do that? And, or like, what made them decide to go there? Um, And, and asking myself these questions about, about the process, um, but there is a certain emotional quality to the lyrics and, and subject matter that is a little bit lacking for me. Um, and, you know, not everything I listen to has to, like, make me cry and contemplate the meaning of life, but um, I, there was a just a little je ne sais quoi that was missing for me on an on an emotional front, I think. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I I agree with that, and 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 I I don't. I mean, there's there's a there's a type of music for every sort of mood that you could have, and mm-hmm. and I don't want it all to be weepy ballads, but I do want it to like sometimes make the hair on my arm stand up, you know. And I didn't get any kind of kind of that from this, but right. um, you know. Again, it's it's hard to do that. So you know, sure, yeah, and and at the same time, uh, I'm glad that they kind of went away from you know the surfing USA mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, I think uh, Asher had a good deal uh, to do with that uh, since he was kind of the principal lyricist from what I understand. You you can you can kind of tell that because it is so different than like those those earlier more poppy things. You know, and the topics of kind of alienation and introspection and kind of the finer details of the love songs kind of reveal a little bit of a a darkness that I that I personally find a little bit more interesting than um, you know, California girls. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, yeah. California girls are fine. Don't get me wrong. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, fair, enough, fair enough. So, you know, one thing I would say, you know, as, as we kind of think about like our closing thoughts of this is like, I'm glad I actually sat down and listened to the whole thing from beginning to end, because I think this was definitely a blind spot in my sort of music uh, knowledge. And what I do need to, what I think I need to do and what I've learned from listening to this is really listen to everything after this to like sort of the eighties Kokomo, like poppy <laughs> stuff and see like, where did they go? Cause I have no idea. Like I have no idea what besides beach boy pits and what we just listened to. I have no idea what they made in the middle. And so that I think would be an interesting listen just to, to learn more about how they, how they evolved as, uh, as, as a band. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and while we're at it, I'll, I'll offer my final thought, which is, you know, overall, I think this is, this is pretty brilliant, uh, given the time period. We've said that as I scroll around like the music pages of, of Instagram and that kind of thing, you see a lot of tributes to the Beatles and like clips of the Rolling Stones and Led sure. Zeppelin yeah. and things like that. And I can't say I've ever seen the Beach Boys anywhere. Correct. And, and Correct. I think that the, this album in, in particular is revered by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But honestly, it feels like it's a little bit forgotten. Mm -hmm. And that's, and I find that very strange because I don't believe that popular music would be the same if this was never created. Um, Not at all, but if I can leave it at that. About that, because I, I, I think you are right. And I think the underlying issue of that is that they're called the Beach Boys. Like, <laughs> I people, completely agree. I completely agree. People think of the Beach Boys. They don't think of like sophisticated, like avant-garde 60s music. They think of beach tunes, sun in your hair and a surfboard, you know, at your feet. And it's it's much more than that. And and I think that if if anything, this exploration of this album has has proven that. Um, but I think that 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 the, that the underlying issue is, is the name of the group is really hard to get get around. Um, which which is you know what they probably made that up when they were sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, whatever. <laughs> right. and they got together. And they were just like, well, this is what we are now and we can't change it and whatever. So, right, right. And and I had that I had that thought as well. Um, and I've always believed that if you're going to name your band, it has to be a band name that sounds like it could be anything. Yes. You know, if you name yourself the Beach Boys or if you name yourself, say, for instance, Napalm Death. You paint yourself into a corner. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> and naming things is hard. It it's is. <laughs> it's it's really hard. That's how you end up with bands called, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish and whatever. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but anyway, uh, I I I think we've done it. Uh, I think we've done it. <laughs> yeah, and this and this was a uh, this was an interesting one, um, and I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, your choice is up what? for next week. 
my choice is next. So we are going to do something again. We're going to go back to sort of contemporary time. So we're going to do Mumford and Sons 2018 album Delta. So many people have probably heard of Mumford and Sons or heard some of their music. This one actually has a lot of tracks that I was not so familiar with. So I look forward to listening to it. And I'm on a mission to convince <laughs> you that Mumford and Sons does not suck. Because I oh, know okay. that you, okay. you, you might be in that corner at this particular moment in space and time. It, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm definitely, you know, opening up myself to to new things i've had a lot of pleasant surprises in the past few weeks and uh yeah i'm definitely looking looking forward to discussing that and in two weeks i should mention that we are going to have a very special guest on the program uh a gentleman by the name of kelsey warren who makes music under the moniker uh black emoji uh so we're going to for the first time let a guest choose our album so that's in two weeks so we've got a lot of cool stuff planned and um we hope that you will come along with us excellent i very much look forward to next week and the week after and uh as i'm sure you do dan and until then we'll talk to you real soon thanks for listening friends To connect with us and join the conversation, you can follow us on both Instagram and Twitter at Brothers in Song. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. It really helps us out. Until next time, listen to some new music. You may surprise yourself.